0: Change is a dirty word to many people. Every thought of change, it upsets them, it scares them, and it angers them. Yet change is an integral part of life. One consistent in life is that things change. In fact, according to the Bible, God is a God of change. Think about the many changes the Bible talks about happening in the life of a believer. We are changed into a new creation. We are changed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Christ We are changed from being spiritually dead to having eternal life. We are changed from being slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness. We are changed from being controlled by our flesh to being controlled by the Holy Spirit. We are changed from a natural man to a spiritual man. We are changed from being carnally minded to being spiritually minded. We are continually being changed from glory to glory. These are just a few of the changes that I can think of off the top of my head. If we were to do a study on all the times and all the ways the Bible says we are changed or we should change, it would be a fairly lengthy study. Today, I want us to to start at the very beginning and and talk about why these changes occur. What is the foundation for them? Open your Bible to Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 is where we're going to start at. It's page 900 in the Pew Bibles. When you find it, I'll ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yes, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of the Lord of Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That I might know Him, the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. That if by any means I might attain the resurrection from the dead. title the message is What Jesus Does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you for your grace and your goodness. Praise you for your love and your mercy. Praise you, God, for an opportunity to gather to study your word, just to... Hear what you have to say to us today We ask you to help us to lay aside the cares of life Help us to be focused upon you Let our hearts be sensitive and ready To receive your word Challenge us and change us Convict us and help us God, we want to be your people Fully devoted to doing your will Fill me with your Holy Spirit today Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech That I can speak your words and your ways for your glory Help us to respond in ways that testify that you are Lord And that you have control of our lives We ask all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake Amen. You may be seated. Philippians 3 is a testimony from the Apostle Paul about the difference that Jesus Christ had made in his life. How he was before he met Jesus. What he was like after he came to know Jesus Christ. Paul's example is meant to be, or his testimony is meant to be an example for us. That what Paul did, or Jesus did for Paul, he will do in all of us. And what Paul learned when he met Jesus is this. That Jesus changes Everything. No one comes to know Jesus Christ and remains the same. It makes a, a lasting, eternal, earthly, practical difference. The way that we live, the way that we are. This passage shows us three changes that Jesus makes in our lives once we come to know him. The first is that Jesus changes my confidence. But in the end of verse 3... It talks about, or in verse 3, it talks about, we are the circumcision. In other words, we are the people of God. Worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. And the last phrase, what I want us to focus on, have no confidence in the flesh. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, they were having problems from a group of false teachers called Judaizers. Judaizers were Jews who had converted to Christianity but couldn't get the law out of their system. They were legalistic, and they put great stress on all of their credentials, Right, when, if you were to talk to a Judaizer and you were to ask them, how can you know you're a part of the kingdom of God and heaven will be your home? They would give you an answer and they would point to their credentials, things they had done, things that they were. Faith in Jesus Christ, the grace of God, were not topping their list. They had great confidence in the flesh. They pointed to their credentials and it was the defining mark of who they were, why they were, why they were confident in their salvation, why they were confident that heaven would be their home. The Apostle Paul knew that these people were a problem. They were not only a problem, but they were hindering people, keeping people from Christ, turning people from Christ and trusting in Him back to trying to trust in their own good works and their own good deeds. So Paul then begins to talk about himself. He begins to use himself as an example. And in verse 4 and 5 and 6, Paul begins to list his credentials. Right, and the reason Paul is doing that is because, he says in verse 4, if anyone can have confidence in the flesh, it's me. Right? In other words, what he's saying is, these Judaizers, they're coming to you and they're saying, listen to us because of our credentials. Trust in us because of what we have done and, and where we are. And Paul said, if we're going to play that game, then let me play it too. Let me show you how my list of Credentials, And he begins to list a series of things that to his original readers would have been significant and important. He says in verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. Now that was the, the law that God gave to Abraham that he reiterated through Moses that the children of Israel were to enter a covenant with God through circumcision on the eighth day. Now, Jews, when, or Gentiles, when Gentiles converted to Judaism, they also were circumcised, no matter when they became Jews religiously. By Paul saying he was circumcised on the eighth day, what he was saying was, I have been, I've been a Jew, I have been a part of the covenant of God all my life. Right? Having been circumcised on the eighth day, it was a, a significant thing. It was Paul's way of saying, I, I'm not a Johnny-come-lately to this thing. I have been a part of it as long as I could be. And really, in a lot of ways, he's saying, and my parents were faithful, too. i come from a godly home. I've been raised in church. I know what I'm supposed to do. He goes on, though. That's not his only thing. Uh, Of the stock of Israel. Right. In other words, what he's saying is he is an, an Israelite. And when the Jews wanted to stress their special relationship to God, they would refer to themselves as Israelites. While Abraham was important, Abraham had at least two sons. Only one of those was the child of promise, who also had two sons. One was named Jacob. God took the son named Jacob, chose him as the one that he would bless, and he changed his name to Israel. And all of his descendants from that point on were known as Israelites. When a Jew wanted to point to the fact that they alone were God's chosen people, they would call themselves by Israel's name. I am an Israelite. Paul is saying again, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a Gentile convert to this thing. I am an Israelite. I am a born into this covenant and this community. He goes on to say, a Hebrew... Oh, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. The tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was a significant tribe within the Jewish world. The tribe of Benjamin was the only tribe that stayed faithful to Judah when the nation split. The tribe of Benjamin was the the tribe to whom the first king of Israel came. The tribe of Benjamin had a special place in in an army. They were were kind of like the aristocracy of the Jewish people. And Paul was saying, I'm not from a lesser tribe. I'm from from a significant tribe. I'm from a significant people. And he goes on to say, "A, a Hebrew... Hebrews, there's a couple of things that this could mean. He could be saying he is a full-blooded Jew, right? His mom was a Jew. His dad was a Jew. He's not a half-breed. He's not intermarried. As far as they could trace his lineage back, they are always Jews, right? Because that was, again, that was significant in the Jewish nation. The less Jew you were, the less important you were. On top of that, though, Paul could also be saying that he is a cultural Jew. But when the Jewish nation was conquered and dispersed among the world, many of the Jewish people partially retained their religion, but they lost their culture. They lost the ability to speak Hebrew and Aramaic. They they lost the the cultural traditions that, that were so important to the Jewish people. Paul, we know, did not. Paul still spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. Paul still kept all of those cultural traditions. That would have been seen as a sign of faithfulness. Paul is saying, I am a Jew through and through. Not only in my religion, but in my culture, in my life, and everything. He says concerning the law of Pharisee. The Pharisees were like an elite club. They were special. At any given time within the nation of Israel, there were only 6,000 Pharisees in the world. The Pharisees, were the, the, they were the, the epitome of what a good Jew was. A Pharisee, it basically meant a separated one. And what it meant was, what it was supposed to mean, was that they were separated from all common life to just devote themselves to do the law of God. They devoted themselves to doing all of the written law and all of the oral law. If people were asked back then, what was, the, what was the best a Jew could be in life? Pharisee is one of the answers. Paul again is saying, I had a good job. Somebody. I was significant. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Paul was zealous for God. To the Jewish mind, zeal is one of the highest ideals of religion. Zeal was a two-sided coin. On one side was love, on the other side was hate. The zealous Jew loved God so much they hated what offended God. To Paul, a Pharisee and a zealous Jew, he loved God and the nation of Israel to the point that he hated what he thought blasphemed God or mocked God. And that was the name of Jesus and those that proclaimed him as the Messiah. So he made persecuting the church a a point of his life. Concerning the righteousness which of the law, blameless. What Paul was saying there was that he, he wasn't mouth-only with his commitment to do the oral and written law of God. He did it to the utmost of his abilities. And that he says he was blameless is significant. Because the, one of the things that Pharisees had become were very legalistic. And they had become very self-righteous. And a part of what they did was, in an effort to show how good they were, they had to point at how bad you were. Right? I am a... If Scott and I were both Pharisees, we might be friends. But still, I would make a point to show areas he failed where I had succeeded. Right? Paul's saying, by saying he had the rights of the law blameless, that when the other Pharisees looked at Paul, they weren't saying, well, Paul is failing here. And Paul is not doing that. Paul... Paul really meant it. When Paul devoted himself to the law of God, he kept it. He was hardcore about it. Now, these things, to the Jewish culture, to those who originally read this, these credentials would have been important. These credentials would have been significant to those people. They would have seen them and said, man, that is a good person. That is someone who is a part of the kingdom of God who will call heaven their home. Now, we, we don't do stuff like this. I mean, we don't talk about being circumcised. I, I saw some of your faces. You were afraid I was going to talk about it today. We don't go over the same sorts of things. But we have our own credentials that we like to mention. Right? We say things like, well, I've been baptized. Or, Are you a Christian? How do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I've been baptized. Right? That's our hope. We, we were taken in the water. We were dunked and we came up. Or we were sprinkled as babies or whatever. But But I've been baptized. That's my credentials. Or... My parents are Christians. I come from a good Christian home. I was raised in church. I just grew up all the time being in church. That, that's my credentials. I'm an American. I was sharing the gospel with a friend of mine that I served in the Army National Guard with. And he told me he was a Christian, which was surprising to me, considering the way that he lived his life. And I said, you are? And he said, well, I'm, I'm an American, aren't I? And I laughed. Um, but he wasn't joking. In his mind... Being an American and saying the Pledge of Allegiance, that was being a Christian. It was the same thing. Those were his credentials. I'm a good moral person. This is a huge thing in our day now, becoming more and more popular. There's a whole movement called Good Without God, in which people try to exalt their own personal righteousness, their goodness to show they are they are good enough. Right. If you were to ask them, if there's a heaven, how do you know you're going there? I'm a good person. I'm a faithful husband. I'm a good dad. I'm, I'm good on my job. I'm a good, moral, generous, kind, gracious person. I have a good reputation in the community. People think good. People think highly. Ask anyone. I've had this happen. Talking to someone that's sharing the gospel. Are you saved? Oh, I'm, I'm fine. Just ask anyone who knows me. They'll tell you how good a person I am. It's their credentials. I'm a member of a church. All of these things are, are credentials that people give. Right? If you were to ask them, Are you going to heaven? Are you a Christian? Yes. How do you know? Because of these, these are my credentials. Now, Paul's credentials were important. Huge. Huge in his day. But notice what Paul says about them in verse 7. But what things. Were gain to me these I have counted loss for Christ. Now, the idea of counted for loss is a time in the past. There was a a point in Paul's life when all of these credentials that he has listed were, were important. He was confident in them. If you were to ask Paul why he's going to heaven, he would list his credentials and his confidence was fully in those things. And something happened. There was a day where something changed in his life. And those things that were so very important, they, he counted them as loss. In verse 8, he calls them, in fact, rubbish. They were, just, they were just junk. Instead of being something that he was confident in, he realized they were keeping him actually from Christ. And what changed in Paul was he met Jesus. And once Paul met Jesus, he knew his confidence could not be in his credentials. Instead, it must be in Christ. What mattered to Paul now weren't the credentials of his family, weren't the credentials of his actions, weren't the credentials that that the world saw was important. Paul's credentials, Paul's confidence was in one thing and one thing alone. Jesus Christ. That's... It's all that mattered. Paul's connection to Jesus. was his foundation, his source of confidence. That's why Paul would say in Second Timothy, I, I was the chief of sinners. Paul never again began to say, look at my credentials as proof that I'm a good person, that I'm going to heaven. Instead, Paul would point to Christ. Jesus had changed Paul to the point. His previous credentials were junk. And Jesus was where he placed his confidence in. You and I were a lot like Paul. We tend to list things like that as our point of confidence. We, we tend to be self-righteous and self-sufficient on our own. That is just the natural way of the sinful human heart. We don't need others. There's nothing wrong with us. We don't need to be fixed. We are confident in ourselves and our credentials as being a part of the kingdom of God and having the part of the heavenly home. But once we meet Jesus, all of that changes. Once we meet Jesus, we understand what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. But of Him, you are in Christ, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. What, what, it, what are our bragging rights about being a part of the kingdom of God? When we stand in heaven one day redeemed, what will we point to and say, this is the reason I'm here? The honest truth is it won't be anything about us at all. Our credentials will be Jesus and what He has done for us. Our confidence is in Jesus what He has done for us. But Paul has several things that, that Jesus became for us. Wisdom. But the idea of Him becoming wisdom for us is what made us think we needed Jesus. I mean, all of us at one point lived a life where we were confident in the flesh. We felt we were okay. We, we weren't concerned about the will of God or the Word of God or the ways of God. What changed? Something within us clicked and we began to realize, we I need Jesus. That wisdom to do that, that wasn't our idea, that wasn't your idea, that was God reaching out to us, showing us our need. Our righteousness, our right standing with God is based upon Jesus and what He has done. Our sanctification, our continual growth in godliness and holiness and becoming like Christ, it's not based upon the fact that we're doing everything right and we finally figured it out. It's based upon the fact that God is always at work in us. Our final redemption, when we stand before God in heaven, it will be we're there because of Jesus. It will be all about Him. It won't be me and you right you you kind of got me over the hump and helped me where I was dragging but I did most of it. No, it'll be you Jesus, you did it all that's why he that glories let him glory not in his credentials, let him glory in the Lord. Jesus changes everything starting with our confidence, it takes us from being Confident in our credentials to being confident in Christ. That is the first change he makes in our lives. Secondly, Jesus changes my values. Verse eight, Paul says, yet I I count all things lost. Now, it's an interesting contrast in verses seven and eight in verse seven. Paul had had counted loss. That was at a a definite point in the past. When he met Jesus, he realized his credentials were useless. And he he just basically tossed them away. They were no more a part of his life. And that was in the past. But the idea of, of count... All things as lost. It means he was still doing it. Right? This wasn't a, just something he did in the past, but there was still this counting going on. Paul was still saying that there are things that are... That Jesus is better than these things. right? That Jesus is more important than these things. He made that decision once in the past, and he had made it every day since. And he says it was all things... Now, the interesting thing about all things is that it means all things. Right? It includes the credentials listed in verses 4, 5, and 6, but it includes everything else as well. So we forget, Paul was a Pharisee. He was, he was, from what we can understand, on the fast track to success. He had been elevated above his peers. He had, he had been to the Harvard, of, of Pharisaical training. He came from a a wealthy family. And when he turned to Christ, he lost all of that. He lost his credentials. They no longer mattered. But from what we understand, Paul's family turned against him. Paul lost everything he lost his job, he lost his standing in the community. He lost his, his acceptance as a scholar and a leader. Right? And again, from what we understand, Paul lost his family and their wealth. Paul lost it all. And he said that he counts it all but rubbish. Trash. It was nothing. Think about that. Paul went from seeing all of this stuff as important as, as normal people would. To saying, it's not worth anything anymore. It's just something that it doesn't matter. Why would he do that? How could he count things like that as a loss? Because Jesus had gotten a hold of him and had changed his value system. Look at what he says in verse 8. I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ my Lord whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ, be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Jesus had changed Paul's value system. The things that he had once valued were no longer important at all. And a part of I think what we need to understand is Paul didn't see this as a bad thing. Paul didn't sit around and lament his losses. He didn't sit around and say gosh you know if I could go back and see what I know now I might make a different decision. Paul's mind what he gained in Jesus was greater than what he lost from the world. Paul didn't see himself as getting the short end of the stick. In Paul's mind, he got the best deal going. He went from just having stuff to having Jesus. How great is that? Jesus had changed Paul's value system so he could value the eternal over the temporary. And he was willing to lose everything. It just didn't matter. If it kept him from knowing Jesus and serving Jesus and living for Jesus, let it go. It just wasn't worth it. Now, here's what we tend to do. We see something like this and we say, well, that was Paul. The world was different then. It's hard to be a Christian. People didn't like him. You know, Paul was kind of straight and narrow. He wasn't willing to let things go. Stuff like that wouldn't happen today. I mean, I would never be put in a place where I had to choose between Jesus and stuff or Jesus and relationships or or Jesus and pleasure. just that's not the world today. That was just then. But here's what I wonder. Do we say that because it's true? Or do we say that because it's comfortable? I mean, do we say it because it soothes our conscience or do we say it because it's really and truly the reality from Scripture and in life? Let me let me just show you some things I found in in just one book of the Bible this week. Right. This is just a few things from one book, not not all the Bible is one book. Peter, James and John left everything to follow Jesus. They had a lucrative and successful fishing business. Jesus found them and said, come and follow me. What did they do? Fish and serve Jesus on the weekends. They they just dropped their nets and they walked away. They, they gave up everything for Jesus. But not just them. Matthew left everything to follow Jesus. When Jesus found Matthew, he was a tax collector. And I've mentioned before, tax collectors were pretty despised by the people because they were crooked and they were seen as working for an oppressive government against their own people. Once a, a Jew became a tax collector, they were pretty much... A Pariah to the community they weren't allowed in the temple or the synagogue. They were completely unsavable and and they could never be a part of the kingdom of God again when Jesus came up to Matthew, he said, come and follow me. Matthew gets up from the receipt of custom. He is actively on the job. He gets up and he walks away. Now, the Romans had a kind of a rule about this. if You did that you didn't get to come back. There was no going back and saying I made a mistake. There was no going back to the Jewish community because they would never accept him. When, when Matthew got up to follow Jesus, he gave up everything. If Jesus didn't work out, he had nowhere to go, nothing he could do. Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a treasure so great that a man joyfully sells everything he has to acquire it. finds a treasure in a field and, and he says joyfully sells all that he has. Right? Not, not some, Not even most. But he sold everything to acquire the field because of the treasure that was in it. Similar story, the very next one. Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a pearl so valuable. The merchant sells everything to gain it. Again, sells everything. All that he has, and when the deal is over, all he's got left is the pearl. And then, kind of a contrary story, Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything to follow him. And when the rich young ruler was given that choice, he he didn't do it. Kind of interesting contrast there. Now, part of what we see is one, this is, again, this is just a few in one book. If we were to look at all the Bible, we would find the idea God is more valuable than stuff, Jesus is more valuable than stuff. And at many times, there are choices we have to make about which we want more. We see it all through Scripture. I mean, all through Scripture choice we have to make. A second truth to pick from this is that they did not do this grudgingly. Paul didn't look longingly back at his old life. Paul didn't say, gosh, I wish I was still confident in the flesh. I sure miss being able to lord over people because I'm better than them. But Peter, James and John and Matthew. Matthew didn't say, gosh, I wish I could go be a tax collector again it would be it was nice when people feared me tried to get on my good side the dude who sold the tre- who bought the field and the dude who bought the pearl they didn't go man all i've got a pearl i've got to treasure wish i had stuff now the rich young ruler well he 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 thought his stuff was really good he walked away sad what i want us to understand is What they found was better than what they had. And they recognized that. It was a a good deal in their minds. What they found in Christ was worth more than all that they had before Christ. Before, all they had was, was stuff. But now they had Jesus, the creator, sustainer, and redeemer of the world. They had a relationship with Him. They had righteousness from Him. They valued Him more than they valued the stuff. Now, that's not a natural change. That's not something we're just going to do on our own. That is a change that Jesus makes. In our hearts and in our lives. He changes our value system to such an extent. That if there is ever a choice between my relationship, my service, my devotion to Jesus. And a person or stuff or anything else. I know what choice I'm going to make. I choose Jesus. Over all the rest of it. Not grudgingly. Not because I... You know, supposed to. But because Jesus is worth infinitely more than whatever I'm giving up or whatever I'm losing. Jesus changes our value system. And then the final way that Jesus changes, that he changes our desires. Paul says in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. This is why. Paul was willing to do this. He wanted to know Jesus. He wanted to experience Christ in his life. And the power that came from Christ. But notice this next part. That I might know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh! Paul was wanting to know the fellowship of suffering for Christ. Now, I don't necessarily think this means Paul was just looking for an opportunity to have his life be miserable. Instead, I think Paul just understood what Jesus said in the Beatitudes about blessed are you. When you shall be reviled and persecuted for my name's sake, you know, we forget that we, we see on Facebook and the world, if we were just like Jesus, I mean, if the church today, the reason the church today. Is unpopular, it's unpopular. is because they're just not like Jesus. right? Well, the Dalai Lama supposedly said, I, I like your Jesus, but not your Christians. The people were just more like Jesus. If you guys were just more like Jesus. Everybody would love us. But I wonder if that's really true. I mean, Jesus was like, like Jesus, right? How, how did the world receive Jesus? Love and adoration and gosh, we just want to be like you, oh Jesus. Or did they, they hate him? They, they kind of hated him, didn't they? They kind of turned against him. They kind of beat him and spit on him and mocked him and and killed the guy. So if we're like Jesus, are we going to be liked and loved? Are we going to be hated and persecuted? I dare say we're not going to be liked and loved. Those who think if we're like Jesus, we're going to be loved, don't understand who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Not really. When we follow Jesus, there is a better than average chance people aren't going to like us. Now, this is kind of a rabbit trail, but let me say, don't just be a jerk and say, people just didn't like Jesus, so they don't like me. (laughs) Just because you're a jerk doesn't mean you're like Jesus. That really just kind of means you're a jerk. So don't do that. But if the choice comes between standing for truth and doing what Jesus said and losing a friend or having people call you names, we'll stand for truth and do what Jesus said. Because when we follow Jesus, if we're truly devoted to doing his will, there is a, a better than average chance we're going to suffer. And what Paul wanted here was not to suffer for the sake of suffering. It was the idea Paul wanted to be so much like Jesus that the world would respond to him the way it responded to Jesus. And if that meant that he suffered, so be it. He would suffer for the sake and the name and the likeness of Christ, and he would do it without hesitation. Look at Philippians 1 and 28. Oh, 29, I'm sorry. I love this. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to, to what? Suffer for His sake. Now, notice the wording. It has been granted to you. Not a punishment given, but a gift. A treasure. We have been given a gift that we can be so much like Jesus that we will suffer like Jesus. We have been given a gift that we can be so Christ-like that the world will treat us as it treated Christ. And it's a, it's a gift. It's not a burden. Right? When we suffer for the name of Christ, we're not suffering for our weird uncle. Right? We're not suffering for some strange, rebellious leader. We're suffering for the Creator, Sustainer, and Redeemer of the world that died for our sins and will one day take us to be with Him. It is a glory and a pleasure to suffer for the name of Jesus, if it's because we're like Jesus. That's what Paul was talking about. He goes on in verse eleven, verse ten, and says, Fellowship of sufferings being conformed to his death. Now, think about Jesus' death. It, it came as a result of surrender to the Father's will. Jesus was in the garden and he prayed. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But if, if not, your will be done. Jesus wasn't seeking suffering. He wasn't seeking death. But if that was the will of God, so be it. He was surrendered to do the will of God. That's what Paul is talking about here. He's not saying, I just want to be brutally murdered in my life. He's saying, I want to be surrendered to the Father's will. As Jesus was. I want everything I do. To be exactly what God wants me to do. And if following God in this way. Results in my death. So be it. His desire. Was to be like Jesus. No matter the cost. No matter the consequence. Let me ask you today. Jesus so changed your desires. The most important thing in your life is that you would be like Jesus regardless of the cost to you personally. Let me, let me give you a, a hypothetical situation. Let's, let's suppose the back doors open and, and Jesus came in in the flesh. And he offered you a choice about how the rest of your year would go. Choice one be an easy year, be no complications, be no problems. Physically healthy, financially successful. Everything would just be, at the end of the year, you would say this was a a good year. But at the end of the year, you would be no closer to Him than you are now. You would be no more like Him than you are now. You would be no different in any Christ-like way than you are right now. But your life would be easy. Choice two. It's more difficult. There will be problems. There will be trials. There will be Difficulties that come your way. But in these difficulties, you will learn to rely on Jesus in ways that you never have. You will draw closer to him than you have ever been. And when this year was over, you would be more like Jesus than you had ever been in your entire life. But it would be a difficult year to get you in that place. Let me ask you, what choice would you make? What year would you choose? I would love to tell you, I would choose year two, right? I'll take the sufferings for the sake of Christ, to be like Christ. But, to be honest, my flesh doesn't really like that idea. I don't even want to say it out loud in case Jesus thinks I'm serious and sent that to me. Right? I mean, there's just a... The, I like comfort. I like ease. But am I so attached to that... That I'm willing to live a lukewarm, complacent life in my service, my devotion, and my likeness to Christ. I want to be in a place where I would say I want to be like Jesus no matter what it costs me. My greatest desire is to be like Jesus. But honestly, I'm not. I don't know that I would say I'm there yet and would be willing to take that choice. But I do believe from what we see, that's, how we, that's the desire we are supposed to have. We are supposed to desire Christ-likeness to the point that we would suffer all things to gain that. So let me ask today, when you look at what Jesus had changed in Paul, Do you see those very same changes in your life? Has he changed your confidence to where you no longer point to your credentials but to Christ? Has he changed your values to where you will willingly, gladly, joyfully lose all things for the sake of Christ? Has he changed your desires to the point that you want to be like Jesus so much that no matter the cost, you're seeking it. For most of us, there's work to be done. Our lives don't completely line up with what we see here. And that's okay depending on how we respond to what we've seen here. See, there are different ways that we could respond to a message like this. One is we could respond with some sort of self-pitying guilt. You know, what I call mom guilt, right? Right? Why did you move your, my grandkids six and a half hours away from me so I'll never get to see them? Makes you feel bad, but it didn't really do much, right? Guilt doesn't change us. Guilt like that doesn't help us. Because what happens when we feel guilty about something like that? What do we do? We work to soothe our conscience, don't we? And we do just enough to soothe our conscience. Once our conscience is soothed, what do we do? We go back to the way that we were. Right? We, we just kind of... Do enough to get by, and then we go back. We don't really change in the long run, though. And that's a way that we can respond. Another way we can respond is through self-condemnation. I just I stink at this Christian thing. I'll never be able to get it down. Woe is me. I'm terrible. But you know, the thing about self-condemnation is it doesn't produce real lasting change either. Because in the end, self-condemnation makes self the center of it all. Because so when I feel self-condemned about something, what do I do? I, I do what I can to make it better, to fix what's wrong. And then when I fix what's wrong, what do I do? I look back and say, I did it. And it points all the power, all, all everything to me. It makes me the center of it all. And I'm not going to be able to change myself in these ways, not, not legitimately. So it, it pushes me further away from Christ. third way I can respond That I can kneel at the cross and I can cry out for grace and mercy to help me in my time of need. I can pour out my heart and say, I have not been changed in these ways completely. I'm not even sure I want to be changed in these ways, but I want to want to be changed in these ways. The way we respond will determine whether or not we're changed today you and i can leave here on a track to be more like jesus or we can leave here on a track to be just the way we've always been and whether what track we leave on well that's our decision that is your decision if you leave here and in a week a month a year you're no different than you are today it's not i don't want to be blunt but i want to be straight <laughs> It is your fault. If you leave here today and you're on a path to being changed and you begin to see that, it's because you have made a decision to seek Christ above all else. What path will you choose for your life? Because you will choose today. Let's stand.